ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Dr Norman Swan, I presume. Um, I think so. I presume, but I want to test it. It is time for me to test whether you are actually a real doctor and I have some medical questions for you. Are you ready? This is terrifying. Yeah, okay, go. It's an anatomy quiz this time. I thought about giving you um, astronomy terms, but that really has nothing to do with your area of expertise. So what is the popliteal fossa? So the popliteal fossa is the fossa behind your knee. So when you, you know, you've got your knee bones in front, so the, the uh, patella and so on, and behind is the popliteal fossa. Correct. And bonus points for pronouncing it better than I could. What is the, what is the hallux? The hallux is one of the bones in your toes. It is. So it's the big toe. It's actually the big toe in any species, not just humans. It's like the innermost hind leg digit. So isn't that cool? It's fantastic. What is the acromion? The acromion. Well, the acromion is the, um, is, that, is that the bit on top of the shoulder blade? Yes, it is. Congratulations. You're a real doctor. That was all it took. <laughs> yeah. Look, we also have all sorts of rhymes to remember things. Um, one is particularly rude to do with the lingual, the lingual nerve, which... Well, people can look that one up for themselves. Doubles back, on its, doubles back on itself and can confuse the amateur surgeon. But I won't do that because the children might be listening. Well, given that you are a real doctor, I suppose it is safe for us to go on and do CoronaCast, a show all about the coronavirus and sometimes other nasties as well. I am health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagger and Turable Land. And I'm physician and journalist, well, I'm supposed to be a physician, Dr. Norman Swan, coming to you from Gadigal Land. So, Norman, I'm suddenly seeing stacks of headlines again about the idea that the coronavirus leaked from a lab in Wuhan. What is going on? Well, what's going on is that um, there are parts of the media which are arguing this quite strongly. It's not mad stuff. It could have come from the lab um, and we will probably never know. But Congress passed an act this year which insisted that the... Uh, U.S. Congress. The U.S. Congress, that the intelligence community declassify any information it's got on where the virus might have originated from. And so, so the Office of the Director of National Intelligence has released a report about the potential links between the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. And really, it's not that different from what we've said before, is that the various arms of the US intelligence community don't necessarily agree with each other on this. So what's new is that the, um, the Congress has passed an act insisting that the, the American intelligence community declassifies their information according to the origins of disease, of COVID-19, and they've just released a report. So it's because of a US act. Okay, that makes sense. So what did this report find that we didn't already know? Not a lot. The intelligence community still doesn't agree with each other in the United States, but there are commonalities that they accept. So, um, for example, there's been reports of researchers who fell ill in November or so 2019. And what this report says is there's no proof that, in fact, they became ill with COVID-19. They didn't seem to get the typical symptoms. Nobody was convincingly hospitalised with what seems to be a COVID-19 illness. There might have been a hospitalisation, but of, a, of a, another illness altogether. They do criticise the Wuhan Institute of Virology by saying that they're biosecurity was lax, that they weren't, they weren't actually controlling their viral research the way they should in high security facilities. So even if it didn't leak from the Wuhan Institute, there were still risks there that something could have leaked. That's right. 
And so it's, not, it's never been beyond the realms of possibility that it did come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but the, essentially they don't agree with each other. There are certain things they do agree on, which is what we're talking about now, is that, yes, some staff members got sick, but they don't agree on whether or not that was COVID. There's criticism of the Wuhan Institute of Virology because um, they would have had, um, as a standard procedure, tests done on those staff to see whether or not they got infected with any organism they've been working with. They haven't released that. And whenever you've not got transparency, people's minds start going to other options rather than maybe they got the flu or something like that. So it's just not clear. Um, but the, the, essentially, it's five bob each way in terms of the intelligence community in the, in the United States. I feel like I ask this every time we have this conversation, which has been numerous times over the last three years. Will we ever actually know? Almost certainly not, unless you unco- we uncover a virus with very close links to COVID-19 and where did that come from? And the the other reason why some of the intelligence community does not support the lab leak is that they, they all agree that this was not biowarfare research, that if it happened, it was an accident and that it was reasonably transparent what viruses they were working on and none had much of a genetic link to COVID-19. It's not entirely all there in this particular report, but it's been there before. So I don't think we'll ever know. Well, let's talk about some stuff that we do know about. And of course, the focus since probably November 2021 has been on Omicron, uh, which was sort of like the first in what has sort of spawned a whole new family of coronavirus variants. And we're getting a better idea about what its properties are, especially when it comes to how it interacts with our immune system. Yes, that's right. And people are getting infected more than once with Omicron and wondering why. We've also been told that hybrid immunity is really important. And as part of what's saving us at the moment is the fact that if you've had immunization plus Omicron, that's really good for you, your immune system, in a sense, it's, it's, it's kind of what they're saying. And um, this research contradicts that to, to a significant extent. So this is an article in Science, which is a pretty prestigious journal. What did it, what did it say? Yeah, it doesn't, they don't come much more prestigious than science. It's into British healthcare workers who were well studied during the pandemic. They were getting PCR tests. If they got infected, we know they got infected and we know with what, in, with what version of the bug they got infected. And this was a group that were triple vaccinated. And what they did was they looked at the impact of, of Omicron infection, not Omicron immunization, but Omicron infection on this group. So one of the, one part of the group had had no previous live infections with COVID. They were just infection naive, but they'd been immunized. Another group had had the Wuhan virus. Another group had had the alpha virus. But they all got, the group that was studied had all been infected with Omicron. In all of them, the, the immune response was disappointing. So here's the paradox. You got a disappointing response immunologically to Omicron. In fact, 50% got a very small response you know, in terms of their T cells, which is one of the levels of the immune system response. It's, it's kind of the, the, the most sophisticated part of the immune response. 50% got no T cell response at all to Omicron infection, whether or not they'd had previous infections, irrespective of that. So they got a, a dis- disappointing response to Omicron. And yet, when they tested in the lab, an Omicron infection stimulated a really big response to the Wuhan virus and maybe even alpha virus. In other words, the, the immune system responded to Omicron by developing antibodies and T-cells to the old version of the virus, even though it hadn't been exposed to it. That doesn't make any sense, but, it, but they have had contact with that virus because they had been immunised with a vaccine that was based on the Wuhan strain. That's absolutely right. And it was even lower if you'd been naturally infected with the Wuhan 
virus. There aren't that many Australians who've been infected with the Wuhan virus, but a lot in the United Kingdom because they had that very bad outbreak in the early part of the pandemic. What do we make of this information? It comes to something we've spoken about before on Coronacast, which is imprinting. Um, It's a a kind of difficult concept. Imagine a little duckling who gets separated from her mummy and a human comes along to look after this duckling. The duckling thinks that the human is their mummy and it's very hard to remind the duckling that that a real duck was its mummy. And in a sense, the immune system is responding in a similar way. I'm grossly oversimplifying here. I'm not going to win a Nobel Prize um, for my (laughs) description of this. But it, it happens with influenza. A child's first experience of influenza, usually your first experience is as a child, the child's immune system remembers that influenza much more strongly than any other exposure to influenza thereafter. And when the child is exposed to influenza later in life, even though it might be a different variant, it gets an immune response to the original influenza. And and the response to the new forms of influenza are a bit disappointing. They don't disappear altogether, but it's not as big as people expect it. And this is what's happening with, looks as though from this research, happening with COVID-19, is that the experience of the virus, the first experience of the virus, is what the immune system remembers most strongly, and it's how it preferentially responds, rather than to the Omicron variant. And so you, um, when you get infected with Omicron, the immune response to Omicron itself is not very strong. And therefore, you are exposed to reinfection and reinfection is why people are getting multiple infections. It's not just the only reason. The other reason is immunization, that these subvariants evolve around the immune system. But there's also something going on in the immune system. The good news is that protection against severe disease still exists. So can we just go back for a second? Is this why everyone seems to be getting reinfected with COVID at the moment. It's one reason why people are getting reinfected. It's not the only reason. Immune evasion is the other reason. So in other words, the reason that new subvariants of Omicron appear is that they're very good at evolving around our immune response. But also that immune response itself is inadequate for Omicron in terms of infection. So we are vulnerable to Omicron um, again and again for more than one reason, and imprinting is almost certainly part of it. And if you are one of the relatively few, I mean, there'll be thousands of Australians who got exposed to Wuhan, but not millions, um, then you're particularly vulnerable to, um, to this immune imprinting, but it also occurs with other people as well. But we all got immunised against COVID with the Wuhan strain. Was that a mistake? No, because we had to be protected against the, the virus. And if you remember rightly, going back to 2020, the early days of the Uh, vaccine, the early vaccine actually protected us against infection. It was very good at doing that. But what we couldn't predict was just the degree to which the virus would evolve. And we had no alternative but to protect against severe disease and reduce death rates, which is what the vaccine has been spectacularly successful in doing. Now, the debate amongst the vaccine experts was how often should you be re-immunized because they were worried that you might get this imprinting effect. But the reality is um, you, might have, you might well have got it even with one or two immunizations and spreading them out a bit more may not have reduced that because you still had the exposure early on. So I think that this was inevitable, but the challenge will be is what happens when a new variant appears that's nastier than Omicron and we've got this imprinting effect. Now, we've got that with influenza as well. When an inf- a pandemic version of influenza appears and we produce a new vaccine to it, 
Um, that vaccine won't be as effective to flu as we would have hoped, but it will be better than nothing at all, a lot better than nothing at all. And it's the same with COVID-19. But it is a challenge for the researchers who are looking at new versions of the vaccine. Right. So vaccination, kind of no matter what variant of vaccine that you got, is protecting you against severe disease and death. That's that's without question. It's this infection that we're, we're not so protected against. So, yeah, what does this mean for future vaccines, people who are due for their booster now, that sort of thing? The advice still remains from um, ATAGI, the Advisory Group on Immunisation, which is if you've not had an infection or an immunisation in the last six months, get your 2023 immunisation now and uh, as soon as possible because to top you up. But it's likely that that will not be redone for another year um, just to give a bit more of a gap there. And I think what's in the minds of some of the people on Otagi, because there was some open discussion about imprinting earlier on, um, is just not to give it too frequently. Well, there you have it. That's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast, but we'll see you next Wednesday. Fully jabbed, we hope. <laughs>